from St. Mark's Gospel, and Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, friends. Man, I love that hymn. I'm glad we did that this morning. Um, Some of you may know that I went to a little country college in Pennsylvania, rural Pennsylvania, called uh, Penn State. You've heard that before, I'm sure, right? Ad nauseum, I admit it, yeah. What you might not know is I also went to graduate school to get a PhD in an area called industrial and organizational psychology. It's sort of, not obscure, but it's sort of a a branch of the psychological disciplines. It's fascinating stuff, I think. Uh, Yeah, it's kind of geeky and yeah, it's kind of nerdy, but basically what you do is take corporate studies, sorry, psychological studies and apply them to the corporate world and to organizations in general. If you have an MBA, or you went to graduate school for business and you did um, organizational behavior, thank an organizational psychologist because we're the ones who discovered all that stuff. Uh, But one area which fascinated me and continues to, well, two areas, motivation was the one, and the second one, which is applicable to today, is the area of leadership. You know, what exactly is leadership? I mean, what exactly is it? We say it, we use it all the time, we need good leaders. What do you mean by that exactly? Uh, What exactly is leadership? Can you learn it? Is it innate? Is it a skill? Or is it something you're born with? Quite frankly, nobody knows. My opinion is it's an interaction. It's both and. That's not the point, though. The point I do want to say this morning is a huge topic about leadership is defining what makes a good leader. And here it is. A leader is someone who persuades and encourages people to do, listen, what they would not otherwise do. There's more technical definitions than that, but that's sort of a, sort of a uh, non, non-technical uh, definition. A leader is someone who persuades and encourages people to do what they would not otherwise do. Charge the line, boys. When, you're, when you're, the troops are pinned and you're going to get mortared if you don't move the guys off the, off the line and you've got to get your guys to move out of the trench and across the field, you're encouraging someone to do what they would not otherwise do, right? Which is, char- this is to run into machine gun fire. But the point I want to hear about all this is that the leader, a leader moves a person from where they are to where they're supposed to be. And if that's true, then I will submit to you this morning something I never thought about till this past week, that Jesus is the consummate leader. He takes people, Jesus does, then and now, you and me, and he moves us from where we are to where we need to be. He moves us. That's what he does. He changes people for good. We call it, we, we, we describe this as a call, right? A call sounds so mysterious, so otherworldly. Only other people have a call. Nonsense. Everybody has a calling on their life. You'll see why in a moment. Because a calling on your life is not just this sort of ephemeral, like, mysterious thing. A call is actually an invitation to join Jesus and change the world. Simple. That's what a calling is. We're going to look at this this morning. Jesus as a leader and the call on Simon and Andrew with three points this morning, which was the call, the cost, and the blessing. The call, the cost, and the blessing. First thing, the call. 
The calling. You know, people say, he's got a calling. When I usually mean that, meaning that you're going to go into the ministry, right? Which is true. If you're not called into the ministry and you do it, you'll crash and burn and take a lot of people with you. I've seen it. But the call, it applies to everybody. Anybody who follows Jesus. Let me show you this. Simon and Andrew, they are fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, which I visited last April. If you've never been there, the Sea of Galilee is incredibly not impressive. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know, it's, I, I guess I, have, I, I pictured it in my mind's eye of being this like massive lake with like, you know, fog on the bottom and like castles around it. No, it's like, it's, a, it's not, it's what, 11 by 7 miles? You can see across it very easily. It's not very deep. It's not very impressive. But that's where Jesus is. He finds himself on the Sea of Galilee. And Matthew says that Jesus is walking along, passing by, which is an interesting expression I'm not going to get into. But he sees Andrew and Simon casting their nets. Why are they casting their nets? Well, they're fishing. They're minding their own business. They are just out doing the thing, right? They're out checking the box, the daily grind, right? Off to the salt mines, fishing in the Sea of Galilee, trying to turn a buck, trying to flip a fish, whatever you want to say. And Scripture says that Jesus sees them. It's pretty cool, actually. The Greek is really fascinating. I'll show you. That he says to them, follow me. Listen closely. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. It doesn't say, I will make you. I will make you become. It's an important detail, which I'll get to in a moment. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And that Greek word for follow me is a Greek word, deato. And it doesn't mean actually follow me. Get behind me, boys. We're going to charge the wall. It doesn't mean that. The word deato actually means come here. It's a one word only, come. Come here. In other words, what Jesus is saying to Simon and Andrew, two guys minding their own business, right? Doing the same thing they always do every single day, right? Except for the Sabbath. And he says, hey, come here. And I'm going to make you become something different than you are now. I'm going to move you from where you are to where you need to be. Jesus' call, listen, is an invitation. It's an invitation to something better. I'll give you another example, and on, on, totally different. On, on Easter Sunday, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb of Jesus to anoint her dead friend's body. He, she expects he's going to be dead. Dead people stay dead, right? So she goes to the tomb, and the angel sees her, and she says, he says, Mary, he's not here. He's been risen. Come and see where he lay. It's the great, same Greek word, datu. The angel invites Mary to see something different than she expects, to move her from what she expects to see to something better. See, an invitation to Jesus, an invitation from Jesus, is to move you and me and Simon and Andrew and everybody else from where they are to where he wants them to be, to move them and us from doubt and fear and confusion to clarity and certainty and courage. See, here's the thing that I want you to see this morning. Jesus' command to come here is an invitation. An invitation to come and see what he can do in your life. I talked about this last week. An invitation, really it's an invitation to trust. That's all the word faith means in Greek, pestuo, to trust Jesus. And he's inviting Simon and Andrew and you and me to trust him. 
That's the call of Jesus, friends, not to success, but to life, a life in him that trusts him. Jesus offers you, I'm going to get into this in a minute, he offers, Jesus offers us the antidote to a safe life. God protect us from a safe life. Let me ask you a question. You know, we spend our whole lives, we spend our whole lives building the bubble, making the box to make safety, right? And that's not a bad thing. I've got a family and people I love. I want them to be safe and secure, and I want them taken care of and fed and all that sort of thing. But a safe life is not a very exciting life, is it? Let me ask you, is your life boring? (laughs) You know, we complain that life is so short, Life is so short, man, and yet we're bored at the same time. Well, why is that? Well, considering the fact that as Christians, our lives are not even focused on this life. We are called to focus our lives on the resurrection. Yeah, life on this, on this earth may be short, and it is. So what? Life on this earth is not the point of life on this earth. Come here, Jesus says. Come here. Hey, come here. He invites you and he invites me to something bigger. A call from Jesus is an invitation, and we all have them, several of them. An invitation to something better, but it's going to cost you. Let me show you this. Point number two, the cost. Scripture says that Jesus calls Simon and Andrew, and Simon and Andrew, they drop their nets. In Matthew's gospel, I think it says they cast their nets, right? In this text here, there's, there's quite a few dad jokes. You know what a dad joke is? A dad joke is a joke that you give that nobody laughs at. <laughs> like you say it to your kids and they go, Dad, that's a dad joke. As you get older, you'll really enjoy that, actually. <laughs> I do. Um, but there's a, there's a few really good dad jokes in this text. Father Jordan pointed this out to me. Um, it says that Peter and Andrew are fishermen, and Jesus makes them become fishers of men. Ah, dad joke. Do you see it? It's in the Greek and the English, unless you're reading the NRSV translation, which says, follow me, you fishermen, and I'll make you fishers of people. Not everything has to be DEI, right? Can we just just have a laugh? It's free for crying out loud. Um, And then Jesus says, come here, come. And they drop their nets. And the word there for drop is, uh, and Mark says immediately, they drop their nets. It's actually the word cast. That's important. They cast their nets down. Well, Again, it's another dad joke, but these are fishermen that cast their nets, listen, for the very last time. Why is that important? Well, if you're a fisherman, then a net is how you make a living. I mean, Simon and Andrew were probably, I don't know this for certain, but I'm fairly certain of this. Simon and Andrew were probably third, fourth generation fishermen. Dad did it. Granddad did it. Great, great granddad did it right here in this very same lake. I've been fishing these waters since I was three years, five years old, right? I've been doing this my whole life. This is all I know how to do. And Jesus says, drop it. And they do. They cast their nets for the last time. It's a play on words. They dropped their nets. It was an act, listen, of rejecting what they knew, of rejecting the safe life, and instead trusting in Jesus. God, protect us from a safe life. And instead, they follow him. They trust him in his invitation. Let me give you an example, a real-world example, and a a timely one. We are in the midst of stewardship season, right? And if you were here last week, I mentioned 
tithing. If you don't know what that is, if you weren't here last week, briefly, tithing is 10% of your income to the life and work of the church. It is the biblical standard of giving. And in case you're a little hemming and hawing about this, in the, in the New Testament, in the church, the, tith- the giving was 100% because they sold everything and lived in common. So 10% is actually a deal, right, if you will. But tithing is the biblical principle of giving. And in the, it goes way back to Genesis all the way through where God challenges you and me to put him to the test and see if he will keep his word. I said this last week in Malachi 3, verse 10. God says, bring the tithe to me and put me to the test and see if I will not rain down blessing on you. The tithe is a test. It's scary. It's dangerous. I tithe. I've tithed since I was 28 years old. I didn't for a while. I thought it was a stupid idea. 10%? You crazy? No thanks. But hear me. You learn to get out of the safe zone when you tithe. You learn to really trust God because you have no other option. I tithe. Your clergy tithe. Your vestry tithes. And the reason why tithing is so important for you Put aside the money part of it. Important for your heart and for mine. The reason it's important, the reason it's critical, is it's costly. Tithing, 10% of your income, I don't care how much money you make, it's a big number and a big decision because you really have to trust God that he will provide. In today's story, Peter and Andrew had to do the very same thing. What do they do? They hear the call, the invitation, and they cast their nets. They risk, they follow Jesus. Friends, hear me as your priest, your father in God, literally. If you want to learn how to trust God, then you've got to put him to the test. It's the only way to learn trust in anybody. <laughs> if you want to learn to trust the way you learn to trust your wife or your husband or your coworker or anybody, anybody at all that you trust, the way you learned that, think about it is that you at some point in your life made the decision to trust that person and then you watched to see if they would actually do what they said they would do. That's how it works. That's how trust works. And so you cannot trust anybody without taking a risk. It's scary by definition because that person might not come through. But see, Jesus always comes through and this is the point. And the only way, I'm telling you, I learned this by firsthand, and everybody I've ministered to about this very thing, tithing teaches you to trust Jesus. It's tangible. It's real. It's physical. It's gritty. It's where the rubber meets the proverbial road. If you want to trust God, friends, you've got to, you've got to put him to the test and see if he will keep his word, and he does. This is how you learn to trust God or anyone else. And so these Simon and Andrew, they say, okay, they cast their nets for the very last time. And the the Greek word has a nuance which is absent from the English that says they cast their nets for the last time permanently. How hard it is to drop our own nets. How hard it is. How hard it is for our faith to move from theory to action from a head thing to a heart thing, to a physical thing. How hard it is to put our security in Jesus where he leads us. How hard it is to really put your money where your mouth is, literally. You know, I don't think, I could be wrong on this, but I don't think we have anyone in this congregation that actually makes their life as a livelihood as a fisherman. Anybody? 
I didn't think so, but I could be wrong. But I will say this, every single person in this room, including me, has our own net, our own nets, our secret gods that we really rely on for our security. Our security, that the things we really lean on. Yeah, we say we believe in Jesus, and we do, but we, this is really the fallback plan, right? You've got to cast these things aside, friends. Take, let, me, let me just challenge you, literally, because this is what Malachi does in Malachi chapter 3. It's what God does. Let me challenge you. Throw down, even, if you want to say it that way. Take the, chi- take the tithing challenge for six months and see if God does not keep his word. God says in Malachi, try me. I didn't say this, but the implication is, I dare you. See if I will not rain down blessing on you. I'm telling you firsthand that tithing teaches you experientially and existentially even that God is faithful. I told you my own story last week. And lots of people will tell you that tithing has grown, shaped, and strengthened their own faith. But friends, we've got to be like the fishermen and we've got to hold our nets loosely and be prepared to drop them if we are called to do so. I mean, you know, this is the thing. This is the thing. It's a scary thing, but it's also the spice of life, isn't it? Risk makes life rewarding. Risk makes life worth living. Risk makes life an adventure. God protect us from a safe life. So here's a question for you. Do you hold your nets loosely? You know what I mean by that. You only get one swing. You only get one chance at this life. Lots of opportunities within it to make changes for sure but you only get one swing. And so God calls us. He invites us into a new life with him. It's costly. It has to be costly, but it will change you. And it will lead to my third point, which is a blessing. Notice something really interesting. When Jesus calls Simon and Andrew, look again really closely. He says that he will make them become fishers of men. This is not about them, you know, learning about some secret talent they have. Instead, what Jesus says, I, you follow, you come here, and I'm going to make you become what you have no idea I'm even talking about is. He's saying to them, you come here, and I'm going to change the world with you, not by force, but by using a gifting which you have no idea that you possess, Simon and Andrew. It's two fishermen from Galilee. One guy wrote two epistles in the, in, the, uh, in the New Testament and was the first pope, the first bishop of Rome, Peter, right? Two fishermen from Galilee, nowheresville. Jesus says, follow, come here, and I'm going to change you so dramatically that you're going to have world-impacting lives. Again, a leader gets people to do things that they would not otherwise do on their own. Why? They underestimate themselves. They underestimate, more importantly, what God can do in, on, and through them. I'll give you a, I'll give you a personal story in all this. My wife and I were just talking about this last week, Kathy. Um, when Jesus called me to be a preacher, I, I, Jesus, you're crazy. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I told you before, I, I don't like public speaking. I, I'm actually not anymore, but I used to be terrified of speaking in public. I think everybody is to a degree. Um, and Kathy, Kathy reminded me, just the other day, she reminded me, you know, wives are so helpful for this kind of thing. She said, uh, 
So don't you remember the first day you came home from homiletics class? Homiletics is the study of preaching. And she said, don't you remember the first day you came home from homiletics? Your first day, she said, I remember it. I don't remember it, frankly, but she did. And she said, I told you, she said, you walked in, you said, I hate that class. I'm terrible at it. I would never, and I, I, she, I said to her, Kathy, preaching will never be a strong part of my ministry. I loved theology, and I loved teaching, and I loved history, and I loved liturgy, big surprise, but preaching to me, pfft. And I was no, I think I got a C in preaching, actually. I didn't even do, I didn't do well in it. My point is, but the thing I want to show you, and this is the key, right? That God had other plans, which I had no idea about. And he invites us to trust him. Because frankly, my life is not about me and nor is yours about you. My life is not about me. It's about serving him. And watching Jesus work in, on, and through you. I'll give you another example. Uh, Father Gritter, who's teaching Sunday school right now, um, I, I called him here to be my, one of my assistants seven years ago, right? Uh, and uh, when, I, when I brought him on board here, uh, I had no idea. I brought him on as my assistant. And then three or four years ago, I, was, I got to thinking about his ministry here. And I thought, you know, I really feel like God's calling him to do something different. I prayed about it. And, uh, and I said to him, hey, Father, I think, uh, I think God's calling you to be a counselor. He and I had been through some stuff. Um, he'd been giving me some advice about things. I'm like, you know, I think the Lord might be calling you to be a counselor. He said, what? I said, yeah, it's a hunch. And I said, okay. And he, he thought about it and he prayed about it. And he went, and you may not know this, Father Gritter went and has a degree now in Christian counseling. And we are going to launch a Christian counseling center as a part of the ministry of this church. I've already got the money partly in hand. It's going to be a huge operation. The school and the counseling center, two of my big visions for the next couple of years. But the point I want you to see here is when I hired Father Gritter, I had no idea about a counseling center. I had no idea when I hired him that might be something God was calling him to. And neither did Father Gritter know that he was called to that. But Jesus did. That's my point. It's the coolest thing when you're willing to step out of the safe zone, your little box, and trust Jesus that God, life is full of surprises. God, protect us from a safe life. Look, life with Jesus as your CO, your commanding officer, it's an adventure. It's not always easy, God knows. It often has big questions in it, big challenges in it, like tithing or lots of other stuff. But it's rewarding. And there is nothing like living a life where you see God's hand working in, on, and through you to change the world around you. You know, the, the amazing thing for Simon and Andrew is that once they, here's the irony in all this, and I'm going to wrap it up, is that once they drop their nets, once they cast out their security, once they give up their security and identity and follow Jesus, they have more security and identity than before they started. Because now their identity is not in things, but in our Lord. So friends, you only get one shot at this life. Make a difference. You only get one swing. Are you serving Jesus? Are you ready and will you respond to his invitation? Will we have the courage to trust him, to take the challenge he puts before us and let Christ, the ultimate leader of men, use you to change the world for good? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.